0: Hey there, it's Ben. This is episode 250, and in celebration of episode 250, like seriously, whoever thought we would get this far, we've got David and Leslie on to talk with us about helping new GMs flourish. And it's a pretty good episode. I think it's really awesome. Also, I do want to give a quick shout out to our patrons who have helped with... June is the month where all of our bills come due because of weird way of things and having the patreon has helped so much so so much so i'm wanting to thank everyone who's given a coffee and is a patreon backer and you can be like them at patreon.com slash the and way now thank you and on to the show <laughs>
1: Seventy-two. Seventy-three. Seventy- Would-would you just stop hopping around? David! David! I can't count these things! Help me! I have to hop! Everywhere I step is a
2: Gizka! Oh, I don't want to step on them! Do you know how much worse this is going to get if we actually spook these things?
3: Why do we even have them? What is their purpose? Are-are they even worth anything? Why-why is this happening to me?
0: Quick! Spook the Puffer Pig! Otherwise, these hybrid Gizka will get out! Join us this time on An Inflated Tale from the Hydean Way, where your hosts, Ben Yendel,
3: and Risa D, with special guests,
0: David Pickering,
3: and Leslie
1: Troutman. Pose. You've heard it said, <laughs> no plan survives contact with the enemy. Much the same can be said for no campaign plan or strategy with players. <laughs> and I recently watched this happen. Actually, I've been watching it happen over the past several months. We have a new... To GMing GM in our our College Bros group. And he is a delight. He's very gifted, good with accents, acting. But every once in a while we just feel like we're all butting heads with him and each other. And it's like, I want him to keep trying because I think he could really enjoy it and get to a good place. But we're not we're not there yet. And I I sent him some encouragement. But it's like, how how do you tell someone to be someone when they need to figure it out themselves?
0: Finding your GM style is such a, like, it's entirely a personal journey. Because everyone's style is so unique to their own wants and desires. I know, like, my style is, I kind of let the players just take over and somehow still semi-steer the direction of the story. By passing in random things like little rancors. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I mean, we know this, but I'm very improvisational. I I have to force myself to sit down and do the detail work of making up NPCs. I am quick to steal stat blocks from things (laughs) and use them for other things. It's not stealing, it's repurposing. It's true, but I, I love the fiasco method of encouraging role-playing scenes that then lead into other things that can happen mechanically rather than have a plan and execute it to perfection because it won't happen even if the players don't ruin it i will because i will throw something in or misspeak
1: okay so i've only played fiasco like (laughs) uh once with you guys
0: all right we traded you out for christine or christine out for you
2: um
1: so
0: one day listeners you might hear those episodes no
1: (laughs) mine wasn't recorded I don't think
2: yeah, it was it was it was recorded.
1: Oh, crap. Yeah. Maybe you will. <laughs> <laughs> but for the time being, pretend I don't know anything about Fiasco and explain what you mean, David.
2: Well, Fiasco is um, and I've, I've talked about it before because I love it as a tool as much as I love it as a game because it's it. I find and this is just my experience that when the people who are inclined to play role playing games in my group, want to play role-playing games, the part that they are good at, naturally, is the stats and the mechanics and the the, the putting their head into a world and and being able to say, okay, I'm going to make a character and I understand how to use dice and I understand how stat blocks work and you know all of that. Maybe the difficult part for them is the role-playing, the getting into character, the acting, and the letting the story drive things and the characters drive story.
0: There's just so many different ways of being a GM with <laughs> this style. Like, There's just so many different styles. Like you can be, hey, look, I'm preparing the entire adventure ahead of time. I've got the speech blurbs, I've got the description blurbs broken up into different sections because as soon as you stop talking, there your players are asking questions. Because well, players are players.
1: The bar stools. (sighs) I love players. They're
0: awesome.
3: I've been Uh (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's I teach children. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> and that
3: helps me a lot with players. I teach improv to children. And that helps me a lot with role-playing with adults. Because if you have a bunch of players who have never done any kind of role-playing, or if they have, they've never done it like in person. So if they've done most of their role-playing chat rooms, or if they've done most of their role-playing in text form, then... It takes a lot to get them to being able to do role-playing in person or out loud, like improv-wise. And it helps to know how to teach improv.
1: (laughs) Well, wouldn't that be a nice thing for us all to know?
3: And I just recently taught the game questions to a bunch of children, where you have to go back and forth asking only speaking in questions. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and
3: I really I honestly felt like I was it was just a game, right? It was just a, I it was, I was at I was at the table for tabletop RPG because that's how players are, right? They'll just keep asking yeah. you questions and questions and then you're just like, "Okay, fine. We'll see how far this can go. I'll just keep asking them questions back." It's very easy to stump children though. And sometimes players, to be fair, it can help doing like,
1: "So you like to play games." <laughs> But, but I mean, even talking about the improv with Risa, and you were talking about just getting them talking, that's, I feel like you're seeding kind of the same purpose.
0: Yeah, true.
1: So and,
2: and this is what you hear on a lot of live play podcasts. I think Heroes does it really well, not the parts I'm on, obviously, the parts everyone else is doing. That's what I'm complimenting there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dice for Brains does it, you know, Force Major does it, I'm just like name dropping here but everybody on these live play podcasts for star wars they role play first and the dice rolls come afterwards and and partially it's because they know they're doing a like a show it's a recorded performance so they're looking for what's the more interesting choice rather than Hmm. what's the best choice most of the time yeah and uh a that's a great way to play an rpg (laughs) don't go into it looking for personal advantage but that doesn't work for everybody some people's personalities don't get as much fun out of that i understand But secondly, because the role playing comes first, it's a little bit easier to get the sort of natural conversations because you're coming into it with, I am going to just act as my character. I'm not looking to accomplish something right now. The GM tends to drive the plot. The players are reacting to it. And when they make a choice the GM didn't expect, really good GMs will roll with that because they have... Gone down that path before. Like, when I first started GMing, if a player did something that wasn't in my plan, I didn't know what to do. You know, I had a guy who tried to to go off the path. He, I I described something in a background that he thought was important and he ran off after it. And I eventually just ended up telling him, like, look, that was a squirrel. Like, it wasn't important. (laughs) And I think that that was less interesting. And now, you know, what I would do is. I would make something up just, you know, even if it's not in my adventure, the whole adventure can be derailed safely for a side adventure because I'm comfortable with that as a GM. And that just comes with time.
1: I was afraid that was the phrase you would say.
2: Um. (laughs) With
3: time. (laughs) With practice is the other one.
2: (laughs) That is the unfortunate thing. It does, there is some element of just
0: do it more.
2: You can do things to
0: practice. To a point, it is experience. And that's one of the reasons why I keep coming with, Trying to spike the investment in time, like trying to make the investment of time as fruitful as possible. That's the reason why I keep going back to Fiasco or any of the other improv-heavy RPGs. Because there's less structure around it for mechanics, it's much more adaptable to the more wacky that you can do. Like, say you are... In the middle of McMurdo Station on the Antarctic, winter's coming. You've got about a week before the final Hercules comes through and picks up the last people before the station's wintered. You find the corpse of the person who is supposed to be heading the winter crew of McMurdo Station. Not quite sure whether I'm copying White Oak or just my McMurdo <laughs> fiasco. I'm just enjoying the like fun scenario. scenario. <laughs> Yeah, well, at one point, okay. that was my dream job.
2: <laughs> to each their own. That would be an awesome job. With Fiasco and with something like that, I love that with those kind of games, you really... I won't say you can't play it for an advantage and you can't gamify it. Like You can't be like, all right, I'm going to you know, play for maximum good results or perfectly balance it out so that I get the best possible ending for my character. You can do that. But even if you do that, you have to make it so that the scene ends... <laughs> The way you want it to, which when you're talking to another person and creating a scene, you actually have to put the work in of like simultaneously carrying on a conversation or having things happen and having that little back of your head conversation, like, where is this going? Am I picking up what they're putting down? All those little improv acting things that you kind of just learn over time and which I will freely admit I am frequently not very good at. It depends on my mood whether I can improv or not, like not my (laughs) mood, but like, am I tired? Probably can't improv well. Am I completely slap happy? I'll improv great, and then You're I'll listen like to it later and be like, "What was I on?" <laughs> yeah, like okay. what am I yeah. talking about?
1: <laughs> so, here's my question, though. I mean, I've I've only GM'd a handful of times, but I've definitely gotten more comfortable as time has gone by. To the point where I'm I'm not confident, but mm-hmm. I'm comfortable running. Put it that way. But so we're talking fiasco. But fiasco is a non-GM'd game. It's a kind of we're all on the same footing. So is it just the flexibility
3: that you're taking from Fiasco? It's the experience of the improv that you're taking from the Fiasco. Improv itself is a very important skill specifically for GMing. It's an important skill to have as a player as well. It makes you a more fun player. It makes you a player who is going to do less of the, uh, let me look at my character sheet, let me uh, decide who is going to roll this role. Let's all decide who has the best stint before they decide it. So improv is going to help you put down the character sheet a little more as a player. But as a GM, improv is a necessary skill, right? Because mm-hmm. <coughs> players are always going to do something that you're not planning for. And when that happens, you have two options. Well, three options, right? First option is you improv, you take what they're doing, and you change your plan. Second option is to ignore the player and continue your story, move them back to where your story is going. Not as fun for the players, but it works. And the third option is to say, hey, everyone, I need to take a break. And you stop where you are, take a little break, you plan more, and then you come back, right? So that's not improving. that's changing what you're doing, and it's coming back to it.
2: But it's completely valid.
3: Oh, completely valid.
2: That's a great right. way to do it, especially if you're not confident in your improv skills. I have never been in a game anywhere or GM'd one where someone was really upset that the GM needed a second. <laughs>
0: yeah. If you're not feeling entirely up to it, you can mask this by bathroom breaks or something like that. Like, oh, I need to go get some water or something of that variety. Anything to leave the table, collect your thoughts, and then come back.
3: I like phrasing it as like, oh, man, guys, that was a really, really cool place for us to like hang it. That's like a cliffhanger (laughs) moment for you guys. for us all, to go get a snack and come back. And then I can be like, okay, what the heck am I going to be doing (laughs) next? Right? So I don't have to be like, I have no clue what to do right now. You guys have stumped me. Uh, you know, I can at least make it be like, "Wow, that was insane!" Now you guys yeah. have to be on like a cliffhanger until okay. we all come that back. That sounds from kind our of like a,
1: a parenting play.
3: You know why? Why this? You can tell I work with children. Are You like. <laughs> There are
2: cross-applicable skills between the two spheres.
0: Oh yeah,
3: it's it's very evident that I work <laughs> with children in the way that I GM.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is like you're also generally when you're talking about some of the more extreme versions of what you're doing with with players or kids. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. They generally work with strategies. Yeah. From Piesco. I'm bringing the flexibility to it because every player, as soon as you start giving like, this is what's in the scene, each player is going to get their own ideas to, well, this is the way I'm forward. I'm wanting to go. Are they going to be focused in on the bobbleheads that <laughs> got mentioned? Because, well, the GM just has bobbleheads stuck in their head, or is it going to be the forklift that, the player flips a destiny point to just import into the scene and then go on a wild terror of that. <laughs> Silly cab. The way players react to things is going to be not necessarily the way that you're thinking of them. That's kind of the reason why learning the playgroup is... There's so many different little bits to... Making your job as a GM easier. Like one of them is learning the playgroup, which are they going to jump? Okay. I've got a thinker. I've got a planner, but who's really just this small little chaos engine. I've got (laughs) this. I've got this other person who's a little on the timid side because they sort of came in late and even now seem to still think they don't really feel like they're fitting in well. And then I've got the showboat who seems to be the walking distraction. You can get the idea as to which way that each one of those, if you present a scene, is generally how they're going to go. The little chaos engine in a particular scene, they're going to come up with something that is off the wall. To come up with the protector that's in the same scene... They're going to put themselves in between the group and whatever danger there is. Whether it's like two stories tall and roaring at them with claws snapping, or whether it's this yahoo who steps up and is stomping towards their slicer in a diner. You've got the idea of what the scene is. As you get to know your group, you're going to start having an idea as to which way
3: they're going to jump. Yeah, to get to know your group, to know how... To frame things because it will help you on planning a lot because I've talked about my Mars group, right? That I originally started it as this thriller horror game, right? Right. But I knew my group and I knew in the back of my mind, this was never going to be a horror game because I knew the moment that I was going to introduce these monsters that they were going to adopt them. Because I knew this group. And that's why when they started adopting them, I was not thrown. And that's why I had roles ready for them to try to tame them. Because <laughs> I've known these people for nine years now. I yeah. knew this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, Just like, like when I started doing a murder mystery for a group of people who I met through a Nancy Drew community. I knew that when I did a murder mystery for them that they were immediately going to want to solve the mystery there was never going to be anything else they were going to want to do because that's the entire point of like these people they were going to solve the mystery <laughs> as soon as you get to know the people and what motivates them for wanting to role play okay it, what they want out of role playing is going to help you a lot in planning your games
1: so tell me a little bit each of you in turn on how you prep for a game
3: It depends on which group I'm GMing for.
1: We'll go with that way.
3: And it depends on if it's for one of my main campaigns, or if it depends on if it's for a one-shot, or...
1: (laughs) Somebody else go first, so Risa can make decisions. Uh, For me, at
2: least, I don't write a lot down. I will generally open a note-taking app on my phone, like Evernote or Google Keep or something, and I will write down broad strokes. I'll write villain names, I'll write important plot points down, places. But the connecting theme of what I'm writing is almost like trigger points for a vibe or a feeling or like a, not not really an emotion, but like a tone. Okay, for example, when I'm running a a Warhammer 40,000 Dark Heresy game, the, the old Fantasy Flight Inquisition system, and I will write down things like, all right, this character, they are shifty, they are untrustworthy, they are hiding it badly. Or I'll write, this guy, you know, has authority, loves to throw it around. But I don't get way too much more concrete than that. The rest of that, I brainstorm in my head. I do a lot of brainstorming in my head. What seems cool? What would work? And I I read the rulebook, and I look for ideas. And I just sort of create almost like a fishbowl in my head, where all the ideas and all the characters and all the plot points are kind of floating around. And I stir that up every once in a while with a good brainstorm. And so when I get into a session, I've, I've preferably just brainstormed for a few minutes before everyone gets here. So it's nice and stirred up. And then when something happens, I just reach into that fishbowl and I grab a character. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, they went into this shop. We're pulling out, you know, the, the grizzled frontiersman who really wants to sell you a couple of med packs or something that he swears by because they've kept every pioneer down the trail alive. And I don't know when star Wars and Oregon trail met, but somehow they just <laughs> did.
0: Oh, uh, I mean, especially considering he's using like cyborg Galactica med packs.
2: Oh, that's where this came from. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why is this such a specific idea in my head? Because it's already in the fishbowl. Cause I've already used it.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, and you will find me recycle characters, not completely, but uh, in my game, maybe the grizzled frontiersman who really wants to sell you Psylocke med packs, maybe if I'm <laughs> playing Warhammer 40,000, he's a junk dealer who's really proud of the fact that he's found some really high-grade medical kits that to him are basically magic because he doesn't understand them. They beep, they boop, they're clearly possessed by a spirit, but they heal people.
1: Yeah. Okay. And,
2: and so I'll, I'll just pluck that same character out. I try not to do this with the same group because I don't want them to catch on to my tricks. Or to realize that if they go into a shop on a frontier world, they'll meet a guy who will sell them med packs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when you're playing a game, how much do you have in front of you? Like, do you take up a full desktop? Do you have a, a tablet, a notepad, and dice? Or
2: For me, because we play in my living room and uh, I don't have like a tabletop surface in front of me usually. I'm yeah. usually on a couch or in an armchair. I've got a, like a, a tablet computer with some PDFs on it. I've got my phone and I've got my pile of dice. And that's it usually the tablet usually has any reference material or if I'm running a pre-published adventure which I like to do especially if it's a short notice off night because sometimes people in our group can't make it we don't want to go with one of our ongoings so I keep a stable of one shots in various systems okay um that's interesting so I will I'll keep like a pdf of that on my computer on my tablet so I've got that out or I've got a pdf of a like a gm's screen kind of thing. Almost like a cheat sheet someone's made for it so yeah. I can see all the skills because I am the first one to admit this, but I run so many different systems because I have a bit of ADHD about systems. Like I, I love to jump from system to system and I get bored quickly if it really doesn't hook me. Mm-hmm. So I will forget the skill names. <laughs> I will call things by the skill names if three systems over and people were like, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Um, so I keep that in front of me so I can remember what they're seeing on their character sheet and then on my phone I usually have either that little note taking app that I was just talking about whatever I'm using at the time or I've got very quiet music but I like to have some tone setting music for some scenes because it helps as an unconscious cue to my players this is the tone of the scene like if I'm playing the cantina band in a Star (laughs) Wars game they know it's a kind of relaxed cantina scene but if suddenly I switch over to the the theme from the Death Star attack, they know it's it's more dramatic. Yeah. And it also has the side effect. And I love it when my players do this in the sense that it's fun. But sometimes my players will use YouTube on their computers to pull up sound effects or music that make a scene funny. And I do enjoy that because it is funny. But oftentimes, and I I do it too, I'm just as guilty, but it does sort of yank things out when you're describing a terrifying monster and all of a sudden you hear somebody's playing the Godzilla roar from like the 1950s movie. (laughs) Uh, And it's hilarious, but it takes you right out of the moment.
0: For me, that exemplifies one of the, I guess I'd go with skills that you learn as a GM, and that's learning a poker face. At this point... Yeah, no one can help bluff me at work. It's kind of (laughs) sad. We've got poker players who actually think they actually can play poker. It's really, really sad. (laughs) Both their skill and also their poker face. Like, it's all well and good to laugh at a player doing something like that. Like, some of these things are just sort of inherently off-putting, and the easiest way of putting a pin in that tension is through humor. But as a GM, if you're wanting to continue on, you can... Show whether this is going to maintain that level of tension, and turn that humor into essentially gallows humor, or whether it turns into Scooby Doo.
3: We do love me some Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. I use the disapproving mom face, which I perfected <laughs> from working with children. That you know, that look that moms give, like when they're about to start raising their fingers up to count Ooh. to three. You know, <laughs> that the look. In.
1: That's real what real real. I
3: give. The okay, look.
1: so Ben, how much space do you take up when you're running?
0: I've either got a deck of cards kicking around, which is the, like, in this case, one of three decks, because I now have my Terranoth deck, my Android deck, who has the miniature giraffe in it <laughs> that I am just infatuated <laughs> with.
3: <laughs> I can't imagine why. I love
0: it. Then bring it over to Star Wars. It was great. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And eventually, you guys are going to be able to hear that part. Yeah, if I'm just improvising, or if if I just have some base scenes set in my head, it really depends on how much prep I've done. As long as I've got my deck and my GM screen, you can pretty much pin me down with, okay, I said dice, we've got our character sheets, run us a game.
1: But if you're running a campaign session, for instance...
0: If I'm running a campaign session such as my Thursday night game, then I'll usually have like a page worth in like OneNote just because I can add to that almost anywhere. The reason why I use something like that is I am adding to this as I think think of it. Like if I'm taking a shower and all of a sudden in my head pops the idea of this is how I want to present this scene. I will then scurry off to OneNote after I clean off the soap, and then I'll enter it into OneNote before I forget it, something like that. And then I'll pull up the sheet or two in OneNote and go through it. If I'm doing Heroes, apparently I do like, I don't know, 10 pages of notes for different sections of adventures, apparently. It almost entirely is trying to capture the tone of what direction the players are going. How tight I feel as a GM that I need to stick to a adventure or to a path. With the Thursday night group, I am very comfortable with letting them just do weird and wild things. (laughs) Injecting things like a infant rancor or starting one of them being the Kuzo menace. Sometimes it's just the way things come up. And it's like, all right, fine, let's do this. Let's have fun with this. And on Heroes, because I'm trying to show off an adventure that other people can go through and say, yeah, you know, Ben was able to do it. Well, so can I. Because I've got that mentality around it, I'm trying to show off a lot of what's in that adventure. So I try and stay closer, which means I take greater notes. So as the players do the weird and wacky things that players do, I can create a structure for them to be within. I can come up with a reason why a veiled sorority kill team is able to find the group while they're doing slicing. As it so happens, they're eating pie at the same diner, but, you know.
1: Sometimes events conspire against you. That's just the way it goes.
0: I guess that's kind of where I'm at with it, is kind of like with David. And I know Risa said the same thing, depending on which variation (laughs) of uh, preparation. It's like, come up with the scaffolding to then run everything else off of the little jump off points.
1: I should have said, probably should have started with campaign because that's actually how he jumped into Mm. the GM was he had what started out as a a quick campaign that quickly became Mm. less of a quick campaign. Like it was supposed to be a four planet cargo run, which sounds like, you know, stop wacky hijinks, keep going. But he he likes to get into the drama of the moment. So there were suddenly refugees Mm -hmm. and we had rolled up characters that were, less above board <laughs> i'm really bad about being able to play a bad guy I, I i can gm it and i can tell stories with with really bad people in them but i have trouble being the person making the decisions as my <laughs> character so i'm like okay i've made peace with this i'm gonna play a person that's willing to let innocence die and that's it's a big deal for me mm-hmm. i'm gonna be honest but she was a pirate basically she was an ex-slave pirate People didn't matter as long as she could get to where she needed to be, she'd take care of the handful that were on her side and then move on. But suddenly there's refugees and it's like, you told us to roll up, roll up like scoundrels. Hmm. Why are you throwing people you want us
3: to care for? Feels like there should have been a session zero where everyone talked about mm. expectations for the campaign. Session
1: zero <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's tr- it's like getting pulling teeth sometimes, just trying to figure out yeah. what they all want from a I game. I feel like that's I that guess. would have
3: cleared up a lot of the issues there, is if he had come into the campaign and told you guys his expectations for the campaign, and it would have really... I'm not even sure he knew. Because I feel like that would have helped a lot.
2: Session Zero's Probably. can help the GM clarify, too. Yeah. You know, especially, and I, I will say, I have found two systems that do session zero really, 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 really well, because it's baked in and explained very well. One of which is Vampire the Masquerade, which I'm still reading through and tweeting through. But one of which that I've actually played yet is Dresden Files RPG. It's mm. a fake RPG. And they put so much emphasis on the session zero because you have to build the city because the city is a character in your game and you build the relationships between the characters and you build the relationships between your characters and the city and the NPCs. And you do all of this as part of the baked into the rules session zero. And so by the time you actually start, there's so much to hang plot on. You don't even have to really have planned a campaign with that much of a session zero if you have the improv skills to do it. You can literally just take that session zero, throw one inciting event in there. Don't even really know where it's going and, and go. Um, I wouldn't recommend that,
0: but you <laughs> could do it. Thinking of the Dresden Files one, which I've finally gotten around to reading, picked up on a bundle of holding at one point and then finally read it.
2: <laughs> it's so good.
0: One of the derivatives of it is the Forged in the Dark game. Well, the original one, Blades in the Dark. It sort of revised a lot of the Dresden file stuff and made it more practical. And it's also a really well written rule book, which I know weird thing to say, but
1: No, I, I honestly I've I've come to as I've gotten deeper into RPGs, I've come to really appreciate a well written rule book, not necessarily even to run, but to get ideas from.
0: Yeah, Blades in the Dark. I'm catching up on some Leviathan Wake's books because, well, and also, I'm pre-tuning the bylaws to my condo. And some RPG books <laughs> are worse than the bylaws. Some of them are better. This is sad.
1: Ouch. The reason I asked about the setup was honestly because trying to go through it of, of ways I, I want to help him learn and grow because I really do want him to keep trying. One of the things is he's working on a Chromebook running Skype because they're in New York, by the way, they're in <laughs> Syracuse or Albany or. Are- Somewhere in the Great White North, because
0: um, also like the American Great White. Nurse. I'm pretty sure we <laughs> lost that territory a long time ago. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: but um, so they're they're uh they're a state away. So he's running from a single computer screen, and he's rolling the dice sometimes on a TV tray, sometimes on the floor next to it. I'm just like, I feel like maybe if he gave himself more space to work, he'd have more shifting room like he could look instead of having to click through windows and stuff like that. And I'm just trying to think of suggestions I can give him to kind of expand his opportunity for his own enjoyment of running a game. Because I love (laughs) running a game. I love telling stories with with idiots. They're they're a hoot. I haven't tried a serious one yet, someday maybe. But you know, it's just such a joy to create and and involve and explore with people. And I think that Mm -hmm. is an opportunity that I think he should continue shooting for.
3: I'm going to say that if you are GMing from uh, like tele-GMing, that's my new phrase for it. I don't know if that's the actual thing people call it, (laughs) but if you're tele-GMing, because I do that, it is much better to have everyone rolling dice on the same program. It is more engaging for everyone. Mm -hmm. to make sure everyone is looking in the same place. I used to do it where some of us who were in person would roll physical dice and the people who were calling in would roll on Discord. And that made the people who were calling in feel disconnected from the people who were there in person. Mm -hmm. So it's really much better for the entire group to have everyone using the same app to roll dice.
0: Having been one of those teleplaying into a live game You definitely feel the disconnect between the people who are like Skyping in and the ones who are sitting around that table. If you aren't all doing the same, even if it is just something simple, like the same Dice app.
3: Yeah. We are using Discord. The Dice Bot is what we're using because we're using, we're playing in Genesis right now. So we're able to use Dice Bot. So we're all, even though we're calling in on, because everyone wants to see each other, we're doing Google Hangouts. We all go to Discord, and I can just have Discord on my phone mm-hmm. and roll the dice on my phone. So I don't have to on my computer change, phone, change programs. I can on my phone roll the dice.
1: Okay, so you, you kind of operate with a little split. So you have the computer doing what it needs to do, the phone doing the dice. Yeah,
3: um, okay. I'm lucky in the fact that I have a lovely desktop computer mm-hmm. that I can have... That can fit everyone who's in here, who's, um who is in person in, and I have, I have a streaming setup because I stream, <laughs> I stream on Twitch. So I have a beautiful webcam, a lovely uh <laughs> microphone and a lovely streaming computer. So it can capture the entire living room that everyone is here on. That is what is like doing all of the streaming. That is what's, on Google Hangouts, then on my phone, I can be rolling dice and not worry about it. And I rarely use my notes when I am GMing that game. I will open my computer to look at names when I need them. Otherwise, I like to be looking at my players. And I like to be just interacting with them as much as possible and not looking at my screen. And I feel like that helps a lot.
1: Okay, so what you're telling me is that we probably shouldn't all roll our own dice in.
3: No, okay. definitely not. It creates a very big disconnect between people who are playing. If you're rolling your dice, it's fun to roll physical dice. Mm-hmm. I agree. I like to roll physical dice. However, you're rolling your physical dice, the people on the other end get distracted because they're not part of that. And it creates a disconnect between the game. It's less engaging. For the other people in the game, they're going to get distracted. They're going to be on Twitter. They're going to be, you know, they're losing their attention until it's their turn. Now they don't know what's going on in the game. Now they have to get caught back up to speed. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was paying attention to something else, you know? Okay. That's where you're losing attention. That's where you're losing people's engagement. I just had a huge like conversation with my whole group about all of this. So I know we're working on it. So that's, that's a huge part of it is trying to keep everyone connected. Same thing. If you guys are like doing Skype yeah, or something, that's what we use. There's uh, sharing sharing screens is a really good thing. So, like, if someone has like a map they want to show, what you can do is share screens. So you can just like write it on like MS Paint and then share your screen with everyone else. So now everyone else has the same map in front of them. Okay, that they can see. Uh, Skype does that, and so does Discord, and so does um, Google Hangouts. You can share screens. Does
1: Discord have a group face share yet, or is it just chat like we're doing?
3: You have to have like a group chat to do it, and I don't know how many people are allowed to be in it at the same time. I think it's ten.
0: Yeah, there, and there's also a disconnect between whether it's paid or unpaid.
3: Yeah, because I have yeah, some of my friends have the turbo, and some of them don't. So I'm always confused yeah. about which is which. We usually use Hangouts when we're going to use Faces because I hate Skype with a passion.
1: Mm.
3: It just—it just like kills my yes. computer.
1: <laughs> Skype also just sucks and is presumptuous and wants to take over your computer. So you know, I can really understand that.
3: It does. I actually removed <laughs> Skype from my computer it,
1: because it—you're not allowed to turn off automatic on anymore. And that I yeah. was like, no, you yeah. know, what, Microsoft, you already own ninety percent of my life. I'm going to fight back on this one point.
3: And remove it. Pretty much. So that's why I prefer some of the other stuff. But anything that has screen share is pretty much like a really good thing to use. That way the GM can at least share things with everyone and be like, this is what this person looks like. This is what the map looks like. And the great thing about that is you can be like, okay, so here's the map and then have like tokens for everyone and then move them for people. If you want, even if it's just MS Paint, again, you can just select tool and move things, you know?
1: I'm just picturing this all in, in MS Paint as as an MS Paint fan.
3: Basically, what I have is I have a laptop that turns into a tablet and I can, I have like a really, a stylus that I can use on the screen and it's terrible at drawing. And so I'm very excited for our next session. I'm going to do all of the maps like that so that the people who are in person can see my terrible drawing like on the table and then everyone else can <laughs> see it in the chat. It's going to yeah. be amazing. <laughs> I'm very excited for it because it's it it's terrible. Okay.
1: So we've learned that we need to practice improv and Fiasco mm-hmm. is an opportunity for that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: another thing to do if you don't want to do Fiasco because that is like a game. If you just want to play improv games, you can just look up improv oh. games, yeah, and just yes. play some.
1: Just watch some old episodes of Who's Line and steal games from there. Exactly.
0: There's a few other like improv game games out there. Um, like Funny Voices is one.
1: Funny Voices, yeah. huh? Flexibility comes with the improv, and from listening mm-hmm. to you guys talk, it sounds kind of like with the note taking thing, you've got to find your own stride. Like everybody, because I you I do. took up a fair yeah. amount of space because I'm not. Super 100% on all the rules, because I was running, um, I've only run one FFG, I've run a handful of D&D, but because I play certain characters, I always have to look up, like, cleric rules, because I'm not super familiar. So I would have the book over there, I had a, I'm going to call it a map, but that's beyond generous. Um, it's like MS Paint, but done by a three-year-old with actual finger paint but I'm 33 using a pen and paper and I actually have decent motor skills.
0: <laughs>
1: and then I have like my NPCs were on a, on note card so I could just pick out which one I was working with. And I had like little blurb details there, but so I mm-hmm. actually take up a lot of space when I'm running a game.
0: <laughs> the thing is with that is you get, as you find your own stride, you'd start knowing you're able to more specialized for your preparation that okay, I'm able to come up with scenes well, but I'm horrible at coming up with uh, the ideas for NPCs. So that's the reason why I've got a deck of NPCs. I can just essentially deal myself a scene with NPCs. The place where they are, I can almost come up with the drop of a hat. And that's the reason why my prep is the way that it is. Every time I'm thinking about an NPC, I'll try and write it down. I'll try and come up with Well, this is the sort of thing I'm wanting there. Okay, we're moving into the spaceport. I can come up with, well, this is what this spaceport looks like.
3: Okay. I just have to write down names. I can't remember names for the life of me. (laughs) Yep. So I know they're going to ask me for names. So I write down names. That is pretty much (laughs) what I need to remember.
0: Having a list of like five, six columns of names is... A very reasonable thing to have
1: Yeah, I, I need to have names Otherwise I start reusing name patterns And then it gets awkward But
3: then if I don't want them to care about the character I just name him Ted And then they ignore him
1: Except, okay, Ted, Ted is great. not important
3: Yeah, Ted is not we. It's my shorthand for both of my groups now Ted is just not important
1: It's It's literally a mm-hmm. guy
3: <laughs> Yeah, if his name is Ted You just kind of leave him alone
1: Interesting so in-group shorthand, also helpful yeah, oh, yeah, definitely
3: They're like, oh, well, what's this guy? I was like, uh, his name's Ted And and they're like, oh, okay <laughs> And they walk away They're like, okay, we've met Ted's before We get it We want to meet other people Named other things Like yes. Sharon
1: <laughs> Good <laughs> old Ted, Sharon
3: Sharon is where it's at exactly. It really
1: is yeah. Interesting <laughs> Okay so I'm, I, I am actually making notes as we're going. So I've got improv, <laughs> fiasco, games, etc. Find your note system tools that work. Like I have my index cards. You have-
0: Those are really handy.
1: One noteness or pilodex, which I still think is a made up thing. Mr. David Bickering. Did I say the word
2: pilodex? Pretty sure you did What's earlier. What's a pilodex? I don't
1: know. <laughs> you said I've got my pilodex here. I might be insane. Let's be honest. But anyway-
2: I think I meant to say PDF. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. scroll up in chat i made a comment at one point because i don't believe that's a thing oh um oh i do see that <laughs> but i have no idea what a pilot actually is because it's not real uh but Reese suggested keeping players focused in sync that's going to be like pulling teeth because we have two sets of two mm-hmm. in the same house like i'm in a house with greg mm-hmm. we've got two guys that are together we've got one guy that is on his own and another guy that's on his own so it's it's interesting computering yeah
3: and everyone wants to roll their own dice yeah Mm -hmm. and not everyone's as good
1: at in like not interpreting i don't want to say interpreting at counting them uh, or yeah summing them like i've got lots of experience at this point and one of our other guys has lots of experience
3: and the handful
1: of they're kind of like eh. um, but I like the idea of trying to to get them all to roll like in discord or something yeah, just to give it that centralized thing to kind of keep everyone kind of on the same page.
3: it helps. It really does help. It keeps everyone in the same place. you're all watching it and you guys can all see the results at the same time and everyone starts cheering together, right. Everyone groans at the same the time, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's amazing and engaging, and it keeps the game going. Instead of if okay. you have a group of two, they roll the dice and then they two groan, and everyone else is like, "Okay, well, what's the result?" Right? Mm-hmm. Tabletop Simulator also has a, like an Edge of the Empire mod to it, just where they have the dice, and it auto—you can do it like that too if you want. Is that like Roll20, but not- It's like something you can buy on Steam. <laughs> Only one person oh, has okay. to own it, and then everyone else can just join it on a server. <laughs> oh, okay. That's so you can play lots of games on Tabletop Simulator, but it's interesting that literally Edge of the Empire is on there as one of the games. So. Yeah. Okay. If Discord isn't something people are wanting to do, then there's that, or there's Roll20, or even if just everyone has the same app they're using on their phone-
1: So am I missing... Those are the three main things I got here. I mean, there's some obvious other things. It's going to be practice, practice, practice. Make sure you're familiar with the system, which is also something he's not as familiar. And so he will stop and ask the other GMs in the group for guidance or context. Okay, Uh, It's lessened a bit as time has gone on. He's gotten more comfortable kind of calling for roles um, and and assigning difficulty. Oh my gosh. Getting him to, to, to vary difficulty. Let's just say we we had a, a rope descending scene and it didn't go spectacularly because he made it a familiar difficulty. Um, But so he finally got out of making everything uh-huh. after, basically. So that was good. He's gotten comfortable kind of flipping points, although he does tend to forget. We all kind of forget about them now and again because I think that's one of those things like we don't all see them. But do you guys think I missed anything in the conversation?
0: Okay, this almost sounds like a variation on the final thoughts thing, which this would be a great time to put it. Yeah. Bam. I'm useful. My
3: final thought really is just as GM, you have to, for a successful campaign, you really need to communicate your expectations with your players. And I think that really, really helps for you to at least know, because if you go into a game without telling them kind of how you want it to go, You know, not ruining plot points or anything like that, but not telling them like the tone of the game you want to play, you're going to get responses that you don't want. You're going to get people doing things that don't fit in with the campaign and stuff. But if you communicate to your players what kind of game you want to run, I want to run a game where you guys are scoundrels with hearts of gold. That communicates what kind of characters they need to create where they are going to do scoundrelly things but they're going to also want to save the refugees that's the kind of thing you need to do as a GM to make it more we successful we saved the
1: refugees by the way good I'm glad <laughs> and then we delivered them to a farming planet where they got to have new lives of hope and agriculture
2: <laughs> if awesome. Rimworld has taught me anything that didn't go well
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay if what about you farming, David yeah.
2: <laughs> there was a blight, and then the pi- the raiders attacked, and then there was kidney farming. Anyway. Um, <laughs>
1: kidney farming?
2: Oh. Oh, Leslie. <laughs> Look up Red Don't don't just,
1: <laughs> don't. just do your thing. I don't want to know. <laughs> um, anyway. I think
2: my biggest piece of advice would be Session Zero. Do a Session Zero. And don't be afraid to have Session Zero Part 2 yes. later on. You can have a session, everyone can afford a session where you reconnect as a group. And I, I you know, I, I can't tell you how many games I've had where I wish after a story arc had ended that I just re-went back to session zero and said, guys, what do you want to do next? Because otherwise you're making the decision for the group and you might not be making the decision that everyone's on board with and you've lost everything you used to have in your session zero. So have a session zero. Don't be afraid to have a second or third or whatever, however long your campaign goes on. And just be comfortable going where your players want to go, even if that's a little bit more work for you. And if you're not able to do that, because that's possible, it's it's, it's not a flaw in you that you're not able to keep up with everybody's crazy shenanigans. But know that and, and communicate that to your players and say, look, I'm a new GM or I'm a very, you know, I need a plan, GM. Tell them that. Just say, "Look, look, go easy on me. Play the story that I have. I'll make some things work for you." And and players will be okay with that. You know, I some players may may balk at the idea that they can't do whatever they want. But it's your group. Your friends, hopefully. They're willing to work with you at your level of GMing skill.
1: Okay. I actually really like that that consideration because that was not something that was asked for and it probably should have been. Given that it was his first go, no, nobody. I think. Okay, I don't want to see nobody. We didn't go super easy on him, but one player in particular, because they've they've been best oh, friends since like yeah. the cradle, yep. was a turd incessantly. It was it was just rough, and I, like I said, I want this to. I want him to keep trying. So
0: find what inspirations you're wanting for the adventure and try and follow them if you're looking to video games try adventure game like and by that i'm not exactly meaning say a tomb raider i'm more meaning a monkey island
1: <laughs> <laughs> or
0: okay fine i'm opening up my steam wishlist because i know one's on there there's oh yeah but you all I left. love
1: monkey island <laughs> i thought that was valid
0: the one I'm actually thinking of, or that is on my list, is Lamplight City, which is, from what I can tell, kind of Monkey Islandish, Kind of, like, not that sort of humor. Take a look at something like Grand Theft Auto, or the Saints Rogue games, or the later Mass Effect, uh, Andromeda, or Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, that's a game. <laughs> Maybe? Are you sure? It's yes. an eye game. <laughs> or Witcher 3, something like that, where it's open worldish, but not MMO-ish. Okay. Because that's where you find the stories. That's where there are stories out of the way for you to find that will draw you back into the main part of the game. My general suggestion is it's pretty easy to get on an uh, adventure like Tomb Raider, where it's a cool adventure, but oh my, that's a line. You're just going straight <laughs> ahead. Yeah. Every now and yes. then there are quick time events. Sometimes you're using a bow and arrow. You may get the choice of, do I use the left hallway, the middle hallway, or the right hallway? But beyond that.
1: But then you come back to the intersection and have to do them all anyway.
0: Try and do something with a branching narrative or something like that. Because you start getting the idea of the preparation in that then becomes, well, okay, okay. I can see the different directions that they go. Or one of the things that's coming back now is uh, choose your own adventure books. Heck, they're, if we're looking yes. at things, they're even doing a Star Wars one in the next six months. What? It's the branching narrative, even the Bioware branching narrative, as much as eh. <laughs> give the players choice. And understand that the players, if given choice, will use choices and will drive you silly with them because, well, that's what players do.
3: (laughs) Well, I'm glad we were able to at least herd them all into the cargo hold. I didn't know what we were going to do if we couldn't at least get them all into the same place.
1: Yeah, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Did you say you got them all in the same place? Even, Even the one with spines? Did any look like they were nesting? Oh, no. How long is the flight?
2: Wait, you said all in one place? Why is my hand scanner showing movement all over the place then?
0: Oh no, they're in the walls! Locking the cockpit door and setting my bogwing to guard the entrance, I pull the levers for our hyperspace jump and hope we arrive in time at the Kashyyyk Gizga Farms. Find us next time on a deep fried tale from The Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at The Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. I'm at AKA Agent Shades.
1: I'm at Leslet GS,
3: And I'm at Cookie Kit. We are all at theheidianway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, <laughs> Heroes of the Hydean Way.
1: You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.
2: Drop us a holocom at talesattheheidianway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from
0: the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash way.
3: Or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash way.
0: Buy
1: our gizka, please. <laughs> I guess I've got an idea how to start us off.
0: Okay. You must start with so, then a pause.
3: What? <laughs> you have to go. So, here's our topic. <laughs> That's how everyone starts their topics. So, yeah. today we're going to talk so- about... <laughs>
1: I'll just assume my husband got stuck on a cabinet or something. Uh, what? I don't know. I have my headphones on. I shouldn't be able to hear anything else in the house, but I just hear slam, 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 slam. So, I don't know. Maybe uh-huh. he got stuck on a cabinet. Uh, hmm. that- These things yeah. happen. I've been stuck on cabinets, not like attached to it, <laughs> but like when you walk past something and it catches on your, your pant leg or your okay, like, okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. Uh,
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like imagining just like, <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> this is going to be the best outtake. <laughs> I'm
1: just imagining I'm my so husband sorry. like magnetized to a cabinet door or yeah,
3: something. I don't know. <laughs> to be fair, it. Reminds me of a time my sister got stuck between a couch and a a coffee table and we all like she just goes I'm stuck from the next room and we were all like what could she be stuck on (laughs) and we all just come in and she's like stuck in between like she was trying to reach for something and she got her shoulders stuck between the two and couldn't get out. And we all just kind of stood there laughing at her for, like, two minutes before we helped her out. So <laughs> That's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was, like, 12, so... <laughs> oh, okay. So if, I mean, that's the time when you're mean to people. Um,
1: <laughs> that's the only yes. time, clearly.
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, uh, that was, I, I, you know. Yeah. Well, okay, while well, we're I, sort of waiting I, for I routinely
1: David. walk into doorknobs, so <laughs>
0: Like...